0: What's up, Chapel? Family, it's good to see you uh, today in the house of the Lord. A lot of good stuff going on. You heard a lot of it right there. Uh, Also, one cool thing, if you're visiting with us in the house or online, if you could do us a favor and go subscribe to our YouTube channel, we're right close to 700 subscribers. It's trying to build that. It's free marketing, gets the word of God out of this room, into the world all over the globe. And so if you would do that, a huge blessing to us. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. So, fellas... Do not wait till Saturday night. If you wait till Saturday night, you'll get your wife or get your kid's mom a Father's Day card because there'll be no Mother's Day cards left. So take advantage of it now. We have a lot of good stuff planned, uh, our very own, for the first time, Toya Gourley will be preaching the Word of God. So it's going to be a good Sunday in the house of God. So give her a hand real quick. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. Thursday, you know, we, we take time out of our services every single week to pray for other churches. That is something God laid on my heart that I believe as a church we're supposed to do, and me personally as a pastor, uh, praying for our city, praying for other pastors. And this Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. and So at noon at Wilson Park, downtown around the Water Fountain, we have the National Day of Prayer. Prayer service is one hour long. I'd love for you to join us. I'll be sharing and preaching, or not preaching, but praying there as well with some other pastors in town. And last but not least, uh, before we move into the message, uh, one of our elders who retired years ago before I got here, Pastor Yule White passed away uh, this past week and is with Jesus, and so they're doing his ceremony graveside today, I think at 2 o'clock, out towards the polo grounds. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that, that uh, he's been a blessing to this church. Uh, we've got great elders here uh, that have laid a legacy and a foundation for years and years and years. But if you have your Bibles, you can go to First uh, Chronicle, First Corinthians Fourteen, uh, Starting right there as we continue this Hearing the Voice of God series. Next week is Mother's Day. The following week is a prophetic weekend, of presbytery weekend. I'm going to share uh, some of our protocols for the prophetic and some of kind of how we define terms of the prophetic that weekend as well. But when it comes to prophecy, as soon as you hear the word prophecy, people have different Things or ideas or pictures that come into their mind. Uh, for mine, for years, it was Nostradamus, because my parents watched this Nostradamus movie years ago, and so I always thought of prophecies and Nostradamus and all these vague, mysterious uh, kind of words and language he would use. For some of you, it may be uh, fortune telling or foretelling some events. Maybe end times, when you think of prophecy, you think of end times events and the apocalypse, the book of Revelation. For some of you during this time and day and age, maybe you think of uh, political prophecies and President Trump being prophesied to be the president and and some of these things like this. And the problem with so many different terms, it's hard to filter through all those terms to get down to what is actually true, of actually what God intended for prophecy to be. So I kind of divide them in two different groups, prophesying and prophelying. So there's two different groups, prophesying and prophelying prophesying is when you're prophesying god's desires to advance his kingdom and to build up his people that's prophesying prophesying is when you seek to speak your desires and build your own platform or advance your own causes so regardless what your political beliefs are you know there's a whole move of defund the police i'd rather we defund the false prophets That would get us a lot further along than defunding the police. And so prophesying or prophelying, prophesying is a God-given gift to his church that was in his church before Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a gift to the New Testament church, and it's a gift today. And so for us to receive the gift and to cherish the gift and be grateful for the gift, we have to know what the gift actually is. So if you would stand to your feet as we read 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. And so to understand the context, this letter is a corrective letter to the church at Corinth that Paul helped start. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff going on in this church. The gifts of the Spirit are flowing through this church. Uh, There's a lot of good things moving forward with the church, but there's some things going wrong. So they were going great with the things of the Spirit, but they're messing up on the great commandment. They're great at worshiping God, but terrible at loving people. And so Paul writes this letter to correct them. He talks about the gift of spirit in chapter 12. 13 is the, the love chapter where he defines love. Then he comes right here in verse uh, 1. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Some of are pursue love. Everybody say pursue love. Pursue love and then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's what you call a commandment. He's telling them to desire something, to pursue after something. And not just all the gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So this gift is set apart from some of the other spiritual gifts. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. That means it's already a spiritual language because you're not speaking to men, you're speaking to God personally. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? Their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And who is the church? The people. Who is the church? You, who are the people, the people God loves and wants to see them become everything he sent his son Jesus to die for them to be, to build them up so that the church may be built up. Six, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some form of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So now we already know that through this verse six, that prophecy is not just preaching. Because he separates it, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, and teaching, which is the same word for preaching. And so, prophecy is this gift that Paul is saying is needed probably more than the other gifts of the church. He's saying it's more important than tongues. And I, I love the gift of spiritual language. I, I love it. It's powerful. It builds me up. But if I'm to be a selfless believer, I need to obey the word of God and pursue love and desire earnestly the spiritual gifts especially that I may prophesy so that God's church can be built up and his people can be whole. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have not left us here alone. You've left us with your word, which is the authoritative revelation of heaven here on earth. Father, you also released your spirit here on earth. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for the gifts that you share with us. And Father, these next few moments, I just pray that you remove every single wrong thought about the gift of prophecy. I pray that you remove every thought of, of prophesying lying and you bring in a, a definition of prophesying that builds up your church that is true, that is powerful, and that brings revelation into our hearts and into our lives and builds your church. And Father, above all, we, receive, we pray that you receive glory for everything we say, do, and how we live. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. And so Paul is, is nailing this down. He's correcting this church because they got the definitions wrong. And so the, the, the kind of the point of what he's trying to say all throughout the chapter of, first, of 14 is this, is that the world uses words to tear us down, to insult us, to, to break us down. The enemy uses words to cause doubt and anxiety and fear and stress. The world uses words as a weapon to tear us down but God also uses words as a spiritual gift to build us back up. And that's why this this gift is so vitally important right now is because the world has changed. We used to fight wars with weapons and and artillery and tanks and planes. Now we fight through words. And it's all part of the end time plan for there to be more division in the world and for the world to attack those who believe in Jesus more and more and more before he returns. And so if the enemy is going to use words to tear down God's people, God is going to use words to build his people back up. And we have an entire generation of people that are living lives that are broken, not by fist, not by might, not by power, but by the words that have been spoken over them since they were small. Broken families, no one to speak life into them. Social media, people bullying and speaking detrimental things about them. And these words have begun to deteriorate them and the gift that God gives us to rebuild the people of God is prophecy. He literally says it's to encourage, to build up, and to comfort or consult. And so the way to, to look at when it is, when, it'd be nice that when a baby is born, they're born being encouraged, built up, and comforted. What happens is when we're born, we're born not quite a blank slate. We're born with things that are already spoken over us while we were in the womb. When you're in the womb, a spirit of rejection can come on a baby if the father leaves the mother to reject the baby and the mother. That spirit of rejection, those words that were rejecting them are already spoken over them. Then when a baby is born, their first few years of life, words speaking over them are more important than ever. The primary prophetic voice in anyone's life is their mother and their father. Primarily. And what has the enemy been breaking down? The family unit. So what happens is the voice that should be the voice that built up to encourage and comfort has been removed from the household. So then you have people that are half-built people in the things of the Spirit. And so what happens is, and I, and I live this, as a mom and dad are supposed to build life into their kids, to comfort them, to encourage them, to speak their identity, that you are called to be a son and daughter of the Most High God. You're called to to reflect his light and his image. You are unconditionally loved. And every time those words are spoken, you're building the inner man of these children. You speak life and you are called to be powerful. You are the head and not the tail. You are above above and not beneath. You can dwell in the secret place of the Lord. God has a special purpose and plan for you. And all these things build up people. But if mom and dad neglect the responsibility of speaking life, Or mom and dad aren't there, or somebody else steps in and becomes that primary influence in our life, the words they speak may not build them up, but may tear them down. Well you'll never be good enough. If you're if you were better, your dad would probably still be around and you wouldn't be alone. Or you're ugly. Why can't you look like so-and-so? Why can't you behave like so-and-so? Why can't? And they get tore down over and over and over again. And then we as culture look at these people who make bad decisions or bad behavior or live ways we don't expect. And we wonder why. It's because they aren't the people God has called them to be. They've been torn down by every single person they trusted and believed in. And so what happens is God recognizes that. He's telling the church at Corinth, he's like, listen, the people around you, they're broken. The people around you are desperate for encouragement. The people around you are desperate to be comforted in the middle of their trials, in the middle of their lives, in the middle of their journey. And the people around you need to be built up. And he says, prophecy is when you start rebuilding the people that God saved and created through the words we speak. For every word we speak either builds people up or tears them down. And it is taking me years to understand the power of words. Unpacking my emotional baggage, my spiritual baggage, my upbringing, realizing the words of my mother, how much power a mom's words have in their kid's life, and then trying to find the ways for God to speak and to rebuild the inner man back up. The gift of prophecy is the weapon of God's choice to fight off the enemy, not just from kids, not just from this whole teenage generation, but for his entire Church, Your words in worship have power to fight off the enemy, but your words of prophecy have the power to fight off the dead blocks inside of you to rebuild you from the inside out. That's why it's so important. And Paul's saying it's important, but he says this. He says, pursue love and then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. What he's saying is, pursue love before you start pursuing spiritual gifts he says start with love pursue love meaning don't try to start pursuing spiritual gifts if you still hate people And we are like well i don't really hate people no you just don't like people you treat people badly you speak badly about people you can't treat somebody badly and then try to build them up with your words like your lifestyle and your words have to be one and the same in alignment And so there's been a move in charismatic world in the last 30 years where we pursue the spiritual gifts, but we're known as the least loving people on the planet. And it is impossible to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be arrogant at the same time. Like he is a humble spirit. He's the spirit of God. He's the spirit of Jesus. He's humble in all his ways. So how come when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, a whole group of people automatically think they're better than everybody else? You can't be proud and humble at the same time. And it's impossible to pursue the gifts at the expense of love. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul said saying this church at Corinth, they were great at worship. They were great at the spiritual gifts. They went through all the list in 12. He said, you have, the, you have the words of discernment and words of knowledge, and you have the gift of faith and the gift of wisdom. You have the gift of tongues. You have the gift of interpretation. You have the gift of working miracles. You have, he said, you have all these gifts, but then he says, whoa, but before you pursue those things, let's start with the great commandment, meaning let's start with love first. And so for me, what that means is, I want to be, and I heard this term on YouTube a couple weeks ago, I want to be a charismatic with a seatbelt. A charismatic with a seatbelt. Meaning there are certain things that restrain me from getting outside the use and crashing the church into one ditch or the other. And so that seatbelt is, is two things. So if you go in your car and you put on your seatbelt, there's a lap belt and a shoulder belt. So for me, that lap belt is the Word of God. So I'm going to put the word of God over me to to restrain me from getting outside of the use of these gifts. I'm going to put the word of God on me to keep me from from getting outside of God's intended purpose for the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not going to do anything that contradicts God's word. That's my seatbelt, but that shoulder belt is the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit protect the gifts of the Spirit. Meaning you can't operate truly in the gifts of the spirit if you're not producing the fruit of the spirit and one of the fruit of the spirit are love so meaning if you're going to pursue something pursue the fruit instead of the gift but paul says he wants you to do both he wants you to pursue love or pursue the fruit but also earnestly desire the gifts meaning let's start at the great commandment let's fulfill the great commandment let's love god with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength. Let's love each other as best as we possibly can. Let's love our enemies and strangers. Let's also, as we're loving, pursue the gifts that will help us love people that much more. That is maturity. What he's saying is spiritual gifts are not what prove your maturity. This church was full of the gifts, but he's saying stop. Literally, he's putting the stop button on him. And say, Just stop with all your spiritualness. Just stop with all your hyper-spirituality. Just stop with all your worship stuff going on. Just stop, and let's pursue love. And what he's saying is, your mark of maturity is not a spiritual gift. Your mark of maturity is, is really three things. One is loyalty to God and his kingdom. You should be growing in your maturity or growing in your loyalty to his kingdom. Two, it's obedience. Not how much of the word you know, but how much of the word you obey and apply. And three, love. How do you receive God's love? How do you love back God back? And how do you love His people and those around you? Those are the marks of maturity. And Paul is trying to make sure this church at Corinth knows he does not see them as being a mature church. He sees them being as an immature church that needs to mature in love. Bill Johnson said this way: gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. Right. The gifts of God are free, but maturity comes by sacrificing your desires to pursue God's desire. The whole profiling deal I was talking about. There's many people that have a gift of prophecy that prophesy and they get off course because they never mature as a follower or disciple of Jesus. They think their gift makes them mature and it does not. Love and obedience makes you mature. So if you're gifted in this, you have to make sure you mature as a believer or your gift will get you off track and do more damage to God's church than it does to build it back up. Oh, that's good. That's good. Maturity is key and that maturity only comes through sacrificing self for God's kingdom. But he also says earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you should prophesy. There's a young, uh, a young guy who's going through seminaries, a Baptist guy, reformed, heavily reformed, close friends. We'll get together every couple months and just talk through the gifts of the Spirit. When it came to this verse, he said, I I have some questions. He said, because this verse in verse 1 of 14 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He said, The problem I have with that is that's a commandment in scripture. He said, Literally, Paul is commanding me to pursue something that most people in my circle don't believe I can pursue. And he said, If I'm gonna be a Bible believing Christian, I have to obey the Bible when it gives me a command to do something. He said, so I don't know what it looks like or how it comes, but he said, I must earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so what that means is Paul here is trying to separate This this mentality of this church where they thought, you know, a couple people are gifted in this, a couple people are that. They were elevating certain prophets. They were elevating certain preachers. And what he's trying to do is separate that and put it back together the right way. What that means is this. Paul is desperately trying here to to remove the distance between the platform and the pew. He's trying to empower the pew to do just as much ministry as the platform. What he's trying to do is remind the believers that every single believer has a spiritual gift. Every single believer has a place in the body. Every single believer has a ministry. Every single believer is a minister or a priesthood of believers. He's trying to get rid of this distance that we keep trying to rebuild. The whole Reformation, this this distance happened between the priest and the lay people. That if you wanted to pray, you had to go to the priest. If you wanted to hear the Bible be read or read the Bible, you had to go to the priest. If you wanted to confess your sin, you had to go to the priest. If you wanted to worship, you had to go to the priest. And the Reformation got rid of all that. And since the Reformation, we've been trying to rebuild that same junky structure that for 2,000 years God has been trying to get rid of. And revival happens when the distance between the pew and the platform disappear. And when the people start believing, I am gifted as well. God has placed something in me. And so the point would be this. In the kingdom of God, there are no spectators. Did I say no spectators? spectators. There are no spectators, only participators. Like John Wilber said, everyone gets to play. When you read the New Testament, I'm reading through the book of Acts right now, there is no separation between the apostles and the believers. They're all working towards the same thing. They all have spiritual gifts. They're all evangelizing. They're all praying for the sick. They're all discipling believers. They're all doing the same exact thing. And what happens is when you're called by God to be saved, you're also called to his mission. When you're called... And you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, you also receive the commission to be a priest in his kingdom. And when you get that, it changes everything. That when you hear them worship up here on the platform, they're trying to encourage you to go home and worship in your living rooms and bedrooms. When you hear me preach, I'm trying to entice you into the mysteries of God's words. You'll go home and study the word for yourself and reteach the word to your kids and your family and your friends and your neighbors. Everything on the platform is trying to train you to go do it elsewhere. Like the Old Testament, the whole point of it was it was putting the gifts and callings of a few people on display. Aaron and Moses and, you know, the heroes of the faith. But the New Testament wants to put the gifts and callings of the many on display. Like it's this exponential increase of ministry. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not in the temple anymore. He's inside of you. And where you go, he goes. Where he goes, his spirit goes. Where he goes, his gifts go. Where he goes, his fruit goes. Where he goes, heaven goes. You are a carrier of heaven. Yeah, Ephesians 4 says it this way. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, which is the exact same terminology he used for prophecy. Meaning, my job as a pastor is to equip you for ministry. My job is not to do the ministry. My job is to train you, to equip you, to challenge you, and empower you to go do the work of the ministry. And like everything, the staff will tell you, I I say this. If I don't say it every week, every other week. How can we empower people more? How can we empower people more and more and more and more? Our whole worship style. We don't have one rock star worship leader. We have a bunch of people we're trying to empower in their giftings to share their giftings with you. Even preaching, we keep trying to share the preaching load more and more and more. Even in May, we're having eight people preach. Why? Because we want to empower what this scripture says, Ephesians 4.11. My job is to equip, to challenge, and empower you to do the work of ministry. So John Wimber said, everyone gets to play. Remember when you're growing up, depending on what sport you played on the playground, you showed up and they're picking dodgeball or kickball teams and they start picking, you know, everybody wanted to be that first guy or girl picked. But some people, you weren't the first, you weren't the second, and there's like two people left and you're like, well, they got to pick me now. And they still picked the other person first. And how you felt left out. I remember I played basketball my entire life and there's many times I'd be the only white guy right? So I'm the only white guy and I show up, I was always the last one picked just because I was white and I understood the whole concept. And until I had a chance to play, I couldn't prove that I could play. In the kingdom of heaven, it's like God is picking teams. And if you're saved, he picked you to be on his team. And when he picks you to be on his team, he's, he's not overlooking you, like every, overlooking you like everybody else in your life may have done. He specifically chose you. And then he placed something inside of you, and he wants to use you. If you're a spectator in the kingdom, it means that you believe what God gave you is not enough. God expects you to get off the pew and get into the game. He says, pursue love, start with love, but then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy why God has a a purpose for you to pursue after. But three, then he says, but especially prophecy. Like especially. So anytime someone says especially in the Bible, when there's a preference given to something, you you may want to look at that. Like when they ask Jesus what the great commandment was, when they're asking him, what's the greatest commandment he tells us? That means there's a preference there, a priority from Jesus. When Paul says here that I wish you would earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but then he puts in parentheses, especially that you may prophesy. We ought to pay attention because what that means, there's preference for this above everything else. And so if we're going to prophesy, we need to know what it is. And so prophecy helps us know something from the perspective of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So prophecy gives us a glimpse of what heaven says or what heaven thinks about a certain situation that's going on. So prophecy lets us see something from God's perspective or know something from his perspective in our lives and what's going on around us. And so many times we get caught up in, in, in the prophecy of foretelling events and foretelling that, just get that all out of your system. Because there are times that God will, will have people with a prophetic gifting or prophetic office where they can foretell things in the future but for the most part the gift of prophecy simply just means god is giving somebody a glimpse of his perspective into your life or into your situation it's that simple and the gift has been around in the old testament god would give people a glimpse of his perspective and what was going on in culture or with the church or with people. In the New Testament, we see it again. God gives people a glimpse of his perspective of heaven on earth through people. And then even today, God will give people a glimpse of his perspective into the lives of people. And so for me, and this may not be for all of you, but for me, I had a difficult time understanding Old Testament prophecy versus New Testament prophecy. I couldn't understand why in the Old Testament, if somebody prophesied and they were wrong, they got stoned. But in the New Testament, or today, if somebody prophesies and they get it wrong, we just give them a TBN show. I couldn't figure out the difference. And so I had to do a deep dive in understanding Old Testament prophecy versus New Testament prophecy. And I think if you understand this, it will help you tremendously. And so one, Old Testament prophets' words are in the Bible, meaning Jonah, Nahum, amos all these prophecies are in the bible these prophets but the new testament apostles words are in the bible not the words of the prophets i mean there's prophets in the new testament but their words aren't in our bible anymore agabus i think it's acts somewhere acts 14 13 somewhere in there agabus agabus prophesies yet there is no book of agabus in the new testament only the apostles have books in the New Testament. And the reason for that is Old Testament prophets had an authoritative revelation from God. Therefore, their words are in the Old Testament. The apostles had an authoritative revelation of Jesus because they walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they were filled with the Spirit, they were there in every single part of his ministry. Therefore, they have an authoritative revelation of the kingdom of heaven, therefore, their words are in the Bible, but not the prophets. In the Old Testament, the, old, the Holy Spirit would come upon believers and give them God's word, meaning it was an outside in. The Holy Spirit would speak audibly to these prophets or show them a distinct vision. It was an outside in revelation, meaning they didn't have to process through their mind their emotions, their spirit. They have to process through their experiences. It's literally saying, thus saith the Lord, do this. But in the New Testament, the revelation is on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside, so it's an inside-out revelation. What that means is when the Spirit speaks to you, now you have to process that through my thoughts, my emotions, my will, my desire, my experiences, therefore there's a greater chance to mess up. Even though the quantity of prophecy is more, the quality at times can be different because it's being processed through the believer. Old Testament prophecy is God's thoughts and God's words. Meaning in the Old Testament they would say, thus saith the Lord. Why? It was literally, thus saith the Lord. God gave them the thoughts and the words to speak. But in the New Testament, it's God's thoughts Through human words. That's why we do not let people say, thus saith the Lord here. It may be a God thought, but it's your words. It's your language. It's through your personality. It's through your emotions and through your experience. So it may be a God thought, but it's your words. Then in the Old Testament, prophecy held the highest authority. But in the New Testament, the teachings of the word of God hold the highest authority. So in the Old Testament, the prophecies are elevated. The prophecies had the greatest authority. But in the New Testament, the teachings of Scripture have the highest authority. That's why things like the qualifications for an elder. You will not find a qualification for an elder to be to prophesy. But you will find a qualification for an elder to be able to teach the Word of God. Why? The Word of God has a greater authority than prophecy in the New Testament. You'll see the marks of the believer. When, when Paul would set up a, a new church, he'd leave elders in place. He'd tell the pastor, he said, you need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Meaning you need to be able to take the Bible and handle the Bible and teach the Bible. He didn't tell them you need to be able to prophesy. Why? The word of God has the authority in the New Testament. And so what is prophecy? Our definition here is prophecy is simply this. It is a God-inspired thought that strengthens and encourages and comforts God's people. It's that simple. Like the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you, and the Holy Spirit can give you thoughts or speak to you through impressions or checks or visions and dreams. The Holy Spirit gives you thoughts for the sole purpose of encouraging, building up, and comforting the church around you. To build up God's people, to move them from defeated to victorious, to move them from discouraged to encouraged. It's a God-inspired thought to encourage, to build up and comfort God's church. And the reason I think it's so important now is I deal with a lot of atheists and agnostics just because of my testimony. And with so many people, their problem with church is not the church. The problem with the church is the Bible and the lack of love in the church. So they feel, feel like the Bible is an old book. I actually believe the fact the Bible is old makes it better because it, has, it connects us to the past, the present, and the future. It's a prophetic book. But also, prophecy helps make the unreal Bible real in the lives of people. So when God gives you a, a thought that takes the Word of God and directly applies it to someone's situation, when you can take a scripture that God gives you that was from 3,000 years ago and brings it into someone's personal situation or circumstance and it comes alive to them. It makes the Bible alive. They'll be hungry for God's word. They'll be hungrier for prophecy. They'll be hungrier for everything God has in play because prophecy makes the Bible come to life. But it also changes the way we talk. Ephesians 4, 29, we say this verse at our house all the time with the teenagers, is let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as what? For building up that same language as prophecy, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So prophecy is speech that is birthed and nurtured in the spirit of God. I mean, it's not my speech, it's not my words, it's me trying to release what the Holy Spirit wants to say through me. Meaning, it should be encouraging. It should be uplifting. It should be comforting. If we're believers, like there's so many scriptures about bridling our tongue and speaking life and speaking hope and speaking love, Prophecy is just the umbrella to make sure all that keeps happening. And so my question would be, shouldn't all our language and all our speech be encouraging to those around us? Like if we're the church, Shouldn't all our speech be building up people instead of tearing people down? If if the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and the Holy Spirit lives inside of his church, why is the church known for what we're against instead of what we are for? It's because we pushed away the gift of prophecy and started embracing the gift of opinions. And my opinion doesn't change people's spiritual well-being, but God's word does. And so until I learn to get my opinion out of the way and lift up God's opinion of people, of things, of situations and circumstances, the church will never be built up the way God wants us to be. And so you can say it this way. Prophecy is the heart of the Holy Spirit expressing himself through my voice and through my language and through my life. So he says three things. One, it builds up, it encourages, and it comforts. Real quick, I want to walk through these. Number one is you. Everybody say I. I can hear God to build up other people. Like the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can hear God to build up other people, to edify them, to build them up into who God has called them to be, to start speaking and adding blocks onto their inner man, to strengthen them from the inside out. And edification brings us back. It builds us up on the foundation, one, of who Jesus is, and two, who we are in him, and three, what his word says. So there's a foundation that everyone needs in order to be who God has called them to be. And when, I, when prophecy goes forth to edify or build them back up, sometimes it's corrective, meaning it corrects. It takes off blocks that aren't of God in order to put something back that belongs there. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And so discipline is correcting a wrong behavior or a wrong thought. The Holy Spirit will do that to build people back up. The truth is edifying, meaning you can't build somebody up with false flattery. It has to be based on the truth of God's word and his revelation. But also the truth not only builds, but the truth sustains people when they're going through difficult seasons. So you can hear God to build up other people. Two, I can hear God, you can hear God in order to encourage other people. This season, as Abby was singing, you know, this is how we fight our battles. What we don't realize is everyone in this room is going through some battle. For some, it's emotional. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. Y'all know this not text. You know, 25 to 35 pastors every single Sunday morning, just to love on them, encourage them. This month, I texted this long thing, just talking about the burden they carry as leaders, as pastors, as ministers, as husbands, as fathers, all these things, to let them know you can only lead your church to health if you're healthy. So do not be ashamed, especially during Mental Health Month, to seek after someone who can help you, that's a confidant that will hold secrets that will build you up and not tear you down, and gave them the number to to the counselor I use, our staff uses, that we use here at the church, and told them, listen, if you're going through something, do not wait, I will pay for you to go to the counselor. Had five pastors out of 30-something text me back saying, I want his number this week. Why? People are fighting battles that none of us know. And the gift of prophecy helps us encourage people in battles that we don't even know they're facing. Like, you may not know what they're going through. You don't even have to be spiritual about it. Just encourage people. 1 Thessalonians says, encourage people while it's today. Just to encourage people, and at some point, the Holy Spirit will give you something that hits them right in the middle of their storm. I think it was two years ago, we were doing School of the Spirit, and we do at labs. We'll teach on the gifts of the Spirit. We'll do a lab to let people kind of walk it out, what it may look like, and practice that. And we're walking through prophecy, and one of the ladies, I said, hey, I want you to stand up. I want you to pray. If God gives you a, a picture, if God gives you a word, if God gives you a scripture, I just want you to share that with whoever you feel like you're supposed to. Right? So, this one lady walks over to this girl, and the girl starts to say, I just don't feel good. like I'm good enough. You know, this is going on and this is going on. And this lady said, You stop it right now. You are more than enough. You are this, you are that. And so she comes out to me and she's weeping, crying. I said, What? She says, I, I did it. I did it. I did it. I was like, What? She's like, when you said a picture, it was encouraged, lit up, and just light bulbs in my eyes. And so I walked over there and I started to pray for her, and she started to tell me how she was discouraged. Then I realized the word was for her, and I just told her, You better not do that. You are more than. She went through the whole word, but all God gave her is one word. And she says, What was that? I said, That's the gift of prophecy. She said, No, I'm Baptist. <laughs> I said, The Holy Spirit don't care if you're Baptist, Church of Christ, Methodist, Catholic. He don't care. He will use you wherever you are. And so God wants to use you to encourage people, to build them up, to help them through situations and circumstances. But thirdly, he says it's to comfort people. So you can hear God. They say "I," I. I can hear God to comfort other people. Just like people are going through storms, people are grieving, people are hurting, people are in pain, people are in emotional pain, people are in fear, people are in anxiety, people are in stress. Like all these things are escalating around us. And the Holy Spirit is a what? Comforter. Right? So the Holy Spirit is known as a comforter. But the Holy Spirit doesn't have a voice for the most part. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have hands. He doesn't have feet. So he needs to use the body and he calls the church the body. Meaning you are the And so the comforter wants to use your life to bring comfort to the people around you. And so the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in the lives of every single person on earth. He knows what's going on behind closed doors and in the dark and in the minds of the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people sitting next to you in the pew, the people in your family. He knows everything. And he lives on the inside of you. And so if you just ask the Holy Spirit, what is in them that you want me to comfort? I promise you he'll tell you. Because he's desperately looking to fulfill his role and responsibility to be a comforter. So when you ask him, if you just want to know how to comfort somebody to prophesy, just ask people, how are you doing and how can I pray for you? They will unlock every single thing you need in order to prophesy into their life. A couple years ago, I had a, a great uncle. who was my grandmother's baby, baby brother. So my grandmother, her mom died early on in life. She basically helped raise her little brother. He lived a very rough life. I didn't know him until I was about 14. He was, there was a lot of family drama didn't come in. I mean, talk I lived a rough life. And I was 13, 14, I'd go to his house, help him mow the grass, do little odds and ends, make some money. And I remember he, he smoked camel non-filtered cigarettes. I didn't even know, the, I thought he literally broke the ends off and tried to like, make, I didn't know they made those things, like that's, that's like cowboy type stuff. But he lived a rough life, he traveled, he was never married, and he got cancer probably five years ago, and, and so he's, he's basically going to die, and my dad was going over there, my dad had been saved, you know, at that point, maybe eight years, and my dad's trying to share the gospel with him. Just shut up, Bobby Joe, he didn't want to hear anything my dad said. My dad had a, uh, another cousin named Troy who had been saved a few years. Every time he went to talk to my uncle James Oliver, he'd just tell him, shut up. I don't want to hear that crap. I don't want to hear that. The whole nine, Just giving him down the road. I don't want to hear that. One day, uh, Troy took his new girlfriend over to see James Oliver. She goes, oh, she starts sharing the gospel, sharing the Bible with him, singing gospel songs to him. And Troy said, dude, I'm amazed. He's like, he would have told me to shut up 10 minutes ago. She comes in, a little pretty face. She can say whatever she wants to. He just, he just engages. So a couple months pass. He's, he's getting closer to death. And Troy just told his girlfriend, he said, I just really wish James Oliver said yes to Jesus. He said, I just really, you know, he's, he's, he won't respond to the gospel. I've tried. I've been praying. Bobby Joe's been praying. Da-da. She said, oh, he's saved. So Troy told his girlfriend, he's like, what do you mean he's saved? He's like, how do you know that? Who told you? She said, God did. Now, she'd only met him once met james oliver one time he said what do you mean god told you she said no god told me when he was 13 years old he got saved in royal rangers at a church he's like you're full of it so he just stayed his girlfriend he's like Man, this girl's crazy so the next week he goes to see james oliver before he passes away he said hey like i mean been want to share the gospel with you again he keeps saying no but he said did you did you ever go to church He's like, yeah, when I was like 12 or 13, I went to Royal Rangers. Somebody picked me up and take me to Royal Rangers. And all of a sudden, Troy just had this confidence, this comfort, in the middle of this season of watching a close family member die, that God was in complete control and knew everything that was going on. See, the Holy Spirit brings comfort, not just to you, but to people around you in seasons you don't even know they're going through. And the only way I can explain like the gift of prophecy, it's you don't go through this situation with somebody, but you bring encouragement and comfort in, in that season with them. And so like when a woman's having a baby as a husband, like you can't have the baby, obviously. So we've had three pregnancies, four babies. And so when you're in the delivery room, if you're the husband, you best not try to tell her what to do. Like that's point number one. Do not try to tell her what to do because you have no place You did no work. You have nothing to prove in that room. So all you can do is hold her hand, encourage her, and comfort her. In the middle of intense pain, fatigue, stress, worry, your job is to stand there and to encourage and comfort someone as they deliver the promise of God from their life into the world. In the same way, you do not know the spiritual pregnancies of the all around you. You don't know the difficult pregnancy. People have dreams. They have hopes. They have promises they feel like God has given them. And they're carrying around. The only difference is in the physical world, you can see when someone is pregnant. But spiritually, you can't see because it's on the inside of them. And they're trying to deliver this promise. They're trying to deliver this this word. They're trying to deliver this dream or this hope or this vision. And so when you come alongside them, you can't help them deliver the baby, but you can encourage them. You can wipe the sweat off of them as they push. You can encourage them as it gets difficult. You can help them breathe through the process. That's what the gift of prophecy is. It's the Holy Spirit coming through you in the lives of people to help them deliver the promises of God here on earth to build them up when the world tears them down. And when the spirit of prophecy is moving, the people of God become healthy and whole again. So I just want you to bow your heads real quick. I'm not going to take long. I just want a second. If, actually, if I can have the, the altar team come forward, the prayer team come forward. I just want to encourage you, that the Holy Spirit does not reside in heaven. He does not reside in the sanctuary. He does not reside in some temple. He does not reside in the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit dwells in temples not made by hands, but made by God in you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the pains, he knows the brokenness, he knows the fears, he knows the anxiety, he knows the stress, he knows the worries, and he will minister to you through other believers by sharing with them what will encourage and comfort you. He builds us up through the body to be who God has called us to be. For those of you that have been in a family where you are broken down, maybe abused physically, mentally, spiritually, sexually, sexually, You've been broken down, insulted by words of family or friends or spouses or coworkers or bosses that use words to break you down. It's the spirit of prophecy that builds you back up. And Paul said, "Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy." So right now in the next few weeks, I know we're going to unpack this with prophetic presbytery. but if you're in the room this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, if he said, you know what, I just need God to encourage me. I just need him to comfort me. He'll do that through seasons of revealing his presence to you, but he nine times out of 10 does that through the body of believers. That's why church is so important. That's why the enemy keeps trying to pull people out of church because he knows that your encouragement and your strength comes through the body, through connection. And so we're going to dismiss in just a second. And when we dismiss, if you need encouragement or comfort through the Spirit of God, our prayer team is going to pray with you. You don't even have to tell them what's going on. Just tell them, I need comforted and encouraged. And they will pray for you. But Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are the Spirit of prophecy. That you build up, you do not tear down. You encourage, you do not discourage. You comfort, you do not discomfort. And Father, in the lives of your people, you know every single detail, you know every single pain point, you know every single dream, you know every single thing in their lives. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit who lives in us knows exactly what people need. And Father, let's pray for this church to be a church that's built on your word, but also your spirit. And I pray for your people to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that they may prophesy so we can begin to build up what the enemy has torn down, not just in this church, but in this region. People who have been broken through religion and tradition. People who have been broken through spiritual warfare. People who have been broken through culture. People who have been broken through lies that people have told them. That, Father, we can be a people where the spirit of prophecy runs rampant through us to build up what the enemy has torn down. And so, Father, I just pray for a release of your spirit. And I pray for us, your people, to set aside our opinions, our traditions, to speak your life into those around us, to speak encouragement, speak comfort, and to build up the people you love dearly. And as we do, Father, I pray for strength, I pray for unity, and I pray for power in your people. In Jesus' name.